Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I am JR. I'm Molly. And this is a podcast where we, as a happily married couple, just sit down and yammer for an hour about life, love, and everything in between. That doesn't make any sense, but whatever. No, well, yeah. We didn't choose that as a tagline. No, the tagline is... We don't have a tagline. No, we had one. Real life conversations about faith, food, fun, family. Something like that. Something we had like the that. F's. The because F's. our last name starts with an F. Do we tell people what our last name is? We're not supposed to. We're supposed to use nothing but fake names and aliases when we're on the radio. Huh. All right. People know our last name is Friesen. Okay. Nothing super particular popular about that. No famous people, as far as I know, have been named Friesen. I'm going to change that. Although there was a hockey player. An NHL hockey player did have the last name Friesen. Um, if you guys have heard of any. Oh, and then there's the Gary Friesen who wrote the five love languages. Whose name is spelled with two R's. Gary. No. No relation. No relation. Gary, like, remember, um, do you remember, did you ever watch uh, Wayne? Uh, that wasn't the Wayne five love Garth? languages. That was Chapman, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. What did Gary Friesen write? I don't know, but I'll look it up right now. I'm um, not what, Google. Did you, uh, Wayne's World. Did you ever watch Wayne's World where they were talking about color me bad, did and, and now you have a puddle of mud, did Did and not. And all of the names with double, random double letters in them. Did not watch Wayne's World. I can't stand that type of humor. Dumb and dumber. Wayne's World is awesome. Wayne's, I, Bill I and Ted's s- Excellent Adventure? Nope. Nope. Uh. Decision making and the will of God. That's right. That's right. Because we have to remain in God's Singleness, will. marriage, and the will of God. Oh, wait. We have to remain in God's will. That's if by you, somebody else. You. With Gary. You, Wilson. dear listener, can fall out of God's will by a single poor choice. Boy, that's a lot of pressure. I'm I'm not feeling up for <laughs> not not feeling up feeling. for my sarcasm. No, that was a sarcastic comment for those of you that might have just started squirming a little bit in your seats. I was being sarcastic. I mean, if I'd known we were going to go down this route, I could have prepared a treatise on what does it mean to be in God's will. But if you guys want, now I have to Google this to see if I have can actually find a. An article that's a recommendation. I had a seminary professor named David Pallison, who I'm pretty sure has actually written a book on God's will. Um, and he used the phrase, the guardrails of God's providence. And what that meant was God gives us very clear guardrails of do and don't behavior. And then he gives us, for example, whom should I marry? Don't marry an unbeliever. Uh, Marry someone who's a believer. So these are the boundaries on which you are very clear. And And then there's a lot of wisdom contained through all of scripture. Um... I'm saying I'm a lot because I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. And I'm trying to Google something right now. You're being quite biblical, though. I like it. Anyway, so so, so the guardrails, if you picture yourself on a mountain highway, the guardrails of God's providence 
There's very clear, if you are a believer and you marry someone who is an unbeliever, you have, well, there's also God's, God's revealed will as well as the providence of how God has ordained the world to work. So if you're a, un, if you're a believer and you marry an unbeliever, you have, God has given us in his word, very clear do's and don'ts, which is one way of saying God's will. There's a theological term for it. We're recording this at night, you guys, and not in a normal afternoon. I don't remember what. And anyway, so the term so is. you I know are you... outside of God's revealed will. Yeah. If you marry, it, it, as an example, if you do something that God says you shall not do this, you're outside of God's revealed will, and just like the proverbs teach us, do this and you shall live. Don't do this and you're going to have negative consequences. You're going to have negative consequences by going against what God has revealed to us in his word that he wants us to do, which is living in accordance with A, how we were designed, and B, our design is in accord with God's holiness and God's perfect character that we are made in the image of fallen, of course. Anyway, um... So if you marry an unbeliever, yes, you're outside of God's will in terms of what he's revealed to us that he requires us to do. Have you broken God's plan for your life? No. You can't do something that's going to surprise God or that's going to screw up God's plan for your life or that's going to be unredeemable. So in that sense, where J.R. was being sarcastic, you can't be outside of God's will because God's will is what does the catechism say? God has foreordained whatever comes to pass. Mm-hmm. And so you you are within God's will simply by existing and we then live according to that will by trusting him and obeying his word, knowing that what he has willed in terms of what in terms of what he wants us to do, what's best for us is living according to his holy character. Yes, and I don't. I feel suddenly compelled to start complaining about K Love Radio now that we're listening to on the way home. They're doing a fundraising drive, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to be one of those podcasts that sits around and whines about mainstream evangelicalism and all hmm. of its faults because it's just not worth my time. Um, I will, however, there is something that is worth my time. Molly, speaking of marriage, I'm you worth your up, time. You brought up, oh, totally. Good. Um, our listeners, the show is worth my time. Um, you mentioned marriage, and uh, your group, Cane of Ox, you're going to be Cane of Ox, released a new video series that I actually I liked. I think it's necessary. I think it's needed. I liked the content, and I liked where. Um, I like where it's heading. Um, can it be spurred into being something viral? Remains to be seen. As you know, content on the internet kind of gets lost in content on the internet. I don't think... (coughs) Excuse me. Will it reach the right people, or are you preaching... First of all, tell the world what it is I'm talking about. Okay, so you guys, I don't, sometimes I allude to this, but I'm not very clear most of the time. I work very fart, fart time, 
very part-time <laughs> and not bloated currently. My cat is. Uh, my cat's been on antibiotics for a UTI and now she's her gut is thrown off and she's bloated and you squeeze her belly and she farts. Uh, oh, speaking of farts, pause. So we're at judo tonight. We are so off track right now. <laughs> we're at judo tonight. And there's hardly anybody. Tuesday nights are kind of a uh, toss up on who who shows up because a lot of folks have wonky work schedules. Like we got a lot of police officers and they got shift work. And anyway, so Tuesday night was pretty thin tonight. It was ourselves, myself, Titus, and Elizabeth. And Elise doesn't do the second class because it's typically more advanced. And our two instructors who are a married couple. And then of course there's our competition coach Josh working, who is primarily working with his son Alex and prepping for the national big national tournament coming up in November. So, Titus is working with another student, Liam. Mr. and Mrs. Allen are currently working together, and I just decided, well, I'm going to have... I got kind of a... My knee's being funky again, so I was like, well, I'll just have at least... Or Lily work on turnovers and some hold So we're working on turn, and I'm laying on the ground, and she's turning me over and doing certain things. And she gets around to do a hold down on me... And I'm kind of just throwing her. She she rolls really well, so I when she does a hold down or turnover, I I would pick her up. I grab like the inside of her thigh and tuck her head and roll her over. And she does this really pretty like just roll and sits right up again and you know restarts. And the first time I did it, I grabbed it. I grabbed her and she I like I hit her stomach or something and she farted like right there in my face. And then she moved again and farted like two more times each time she moved. She starts giggling, and I look at her, I'm like, really? Seriously? She just starts laughing, and I'm like, ah. Okay, I have a question really? for you guys out there oh, with a, with multiple kids. Do you have a kid who is gassier than the others? Because <laughs> it, it's really interesting, because, you know, just kids' personalities in general, I've been fascinated with recently, and they come from the same basic DNA, right? And they look different. And, you know, it's you and me combined. And all of the literally infinite variations that we could come up with if we kept having kids. They would, they all look differently, even though we joke that we create clones. They're different personalities. They have, you know, totally different health challenges and fears and they're being raised on the same food in the same environment and faith is not being raised in the same environment well i mean (laughs) she's got three older siblings no what i mean is the physical environment so for example a lot of people have health issues because there's hidden mold in their houses right Uh, or you know our kids, well, this is actually not entirely true because the three other kids up until Elise was one and let's see, then Lily was three and Titus was five, they drank city water with chlorine in it and chlorine kills your gut bacteria. Just like it kills the bacteria that's in the water, it's bad for your gut, in my humble opinion. Uh, Elise, Faith has consistently, we have a well at our house. And she was born into this house, so she's never bathed in chlorinated water. She's never consistently oh, interesting. drank chlorinated water. Huh. And, the you know, we swim in chlorinated pools in the summer. But her exposure to chlorine, which is hard on your gut, is significantly lower than any of our other kids. 
anyway, it's just really interesting to me how particularly Lily and Titus are so close in age and in everything else. And Titus has allergy issues that Lily has never had, but Lily just can rip it up like no, none of our other kids. She's so gassy. It, anyway, it's uh, anyway. If you guys have a, you don't have to name names. We just named names. She might kill us for it when she's older. But if you have a particular, if if you have one kid who stands out, or if you're like, no, 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 you're you're nuts. Anyway, um, I don't even know how we got on that topic. You were talking about Lily cane of farted ox. in your face. Cane of ox. Oh, far, right? uh, farting, part-time joke. Part-time joke. Part-time yeah. job. Part-time uh, so job. so I work part-time for. An organization called Canavox, which Vox is Latin for voice, and Cana is an allusion to the wedding at Cana. Uh, so we're kind of loosely referencing marriage, and we're actually we're not a Christian organization. It's a natural law based organization that provides science, natural law, philosophical based reasons to support. A traditional understanding of healthy marriage and sexuality. And what we have historically focused on, it was founded by moms, and almost everybody who works for us is a mom and prioritizes our mom life. And so in that sense, we're a fairly slow-moving organization because mom, the mom part of our identity is the most important and that feeds our passion for what we do because this culture is wild and we want to have the best information available to help our our friends our kids i mean really anyone mom support groups and so we we provide a syllabus that's free if you go to canavox.com it's a free syllabus of reading group things and we provide free training also if you wanted to lead a reading group in your home you you can see almost all of the materials we do have some stuff that's copyrighted and we've gotten permission to share it or something that our group ourselves has produced and that's behind a password protected uh a password uh page that you can get access to if you go through our training which is literally like three one-hour Zoom calls that are free just to make sure that you're stewarding the materials well. And you're. And if anybody wants to start do. their own group or learn how to get involved, please send Molly an email at mollyf at canavox.com. Oh, Jared just looked up my... <laughs> or you can just contact the organization in general. But you can for sure contact me. Oh, you're going to want to talk with Molly. I would be you thrilled guys... to converse with you because I could wax eloquent for... Hours. The thing that I love about it the most is we when I'm trying to think how to how to start with this. I grew up in a normal evangelical church, mainstream and mainstream evangelical church, and I graduated from high school in 1998, and in the mid Twenty teens around the time of Obergefell, I was shocked at how many people I'm casually acquaintances with on Facebook 
who were changing their profile picture to support marriage equality. And at the same time, there was this young Catholic guy who talked really fast named Ryan Anderson. And I would watch interviews that he did on Fox News and other places and really admire how logical he could be and what everything he said, his reasons, his facts seemed so out of reach to me. Well, what the reading group, the reason we do the reading group methodology is it's about an hour of very concise, very carefully chosen. We're constantly what a lot of what my job is, is I lead a local reading group myself. And then we use the feedback from our own experiences and from other people's experiences to constantly be calling the Internet for is there something better that could go in this slot. People didn't really like this article because of this, or people had these questions, or quite frankly, since Canavox was founded around the time of Obergefell, our culture has changed so much. I mean, transgender was just a blip on the radar screen at the time of Obergefell, or throuples, uh, polygamy were just, just such blips, and now they're becoming quite mainstream, as well as, of course, the normalization of all sorts of wild sexual deviations. And going back to the thing that I love about Cana Vox, even though we don't... Well, actually, not even though. There's no Bible in what we're doing because most of the people that come to our sessions have a faith basis for what they believe. We know what the Bible says about homosexuality. We know what the Bible says, that God created male and female in his own image, and they both have dignity and complementarity. But how do I talk to my kid who's in fifth grade and has a transitioning child in their class? How do I talk to a parent whose kid is being convinced to transition? How do I talk to a pastor who has a same-sex couple coming to his church and Canavox provides science-based facts that, to me, as I'm raising children, give me the confidence. I feel like my faith has grown tremendously. We, I started working with them when we moved into this house, which was 2016? 2016. Elise was one. I feel like my faith has grown in terms of confidence that God's world works the way that he says it works. So when I read in Proverbs advice for, not not advice, Proverbs for a wise life, uh, when I read Paul in the New Testament saying, do this, don't do this, and then I read the social science that says kids who are being raised by same-sex parents have, or even by divorced parents, have lots of trauma in their life have trouble forming relationships, have anxiety, things like that. I I can connect that to God saying, do this and you will live, you will prosper, you will thrive. Don't do this and life will be hard for you. And I have actual facts to bear that out. And also... And not simply from science, but from sociology and... Yeah, because I'm using science as a shorthand anthropology for observations and, yeah, of yeah. how the world works. But yes, um... There's, there's a lot of good data out there. I'm sure 
in some ways, the, the last year has been a peeling back of what we thought. We thought we were actually getting decent information from the mainstream media, <clears throat> more or less. I mean, we knew it was bad. We didn't know how bad it was until now, in my opinion. But when, <clears throat> for example, you guys, around the time of Obergefell, there was a lot of there were a couple of studies being trotted out that said, see, kids being raised in same-sex households fare just as well, if not better, than kids being raised in, you know, in regular heterosexual households. Well, the thing is, with that, those studies were methodologically tremendously flawed. For one thing, the way they solicited participants in the study. If you want to do a good cross-based study, you would, for example, a good methodology, which has been done and has not shown similar outcomes between similar people, you would go through the census data and you would find same-sex households and you would have a huge sample size and it would be representative of all same-sex households in America. The way these studies that were trotted out for Obergefell were done is they advertise for them in magazines for gay people. So these upper class gay parents opted into the study. You never opt into a study and think that it's going to be methodologically sound. So they opt into the study. Do they have an agenda when they're opting into a study about how their kids are doing? Of course they do. And then they ask the parents to rate how their kids are doing. Is your kid emotionally... They don't ask the kid. Well, so doing a study on sometimes the kid. they do ask the kids. But if you ask children who are now adults, as in adults well into adulthood, so in their 30s or 40s, who are now raising families of their own, if you ask... Those adults, they would say, yes, when I was in my teens and my 20s, I would have supported my same-sex parents unequivocally. I love them. I'm defensive of them. I'm also, even if I have questions like, gosh, I love my two moms, but I sometimes wonder where my dad is because I know I have a dad and I, it's, he's half of my identity and I wish that I knew about that part of myself. I wish that I had a dad who could do dad things with me because my two moms are great, but two moms don't equal a dad. And I can't say this out loud because it would hurt my mom's feeling, but I wish I had a dad. Uh, So things like that, they don't have the freedom to say that until they're no longer financially or emotionally underneath their parents. And sometimes they don't even have the freedom to psychologically recognize that. So even if a study were to talk to kids, the study needs to be looking at the long-term well-being by all the metrics of economics, uh, being able to stay in a stable relationship, their emotional well-being. And that needs to be well into adulthood, not your parents are still paying for everything I I wouldn't you wouldn't dare say something negative about, about the parents that you love and, of course, and you're defensive uh, of. And of course, we know Molly as parents that we think, well, we don't always think this, but we think we're doing a pretty darn good job, you know, right. at raising our kids. I 
don't think we're doing a great job, but I don't know. You know, so I mean, there's always the bias of, well, you know, I'm doing a great job with my kids. I want to tell people I'm doing a great job with my kids. Yeah, we want our we want our kids to be doing well, and so we're going to. And legitimately, the child may be doing well. I mean, there's always that fact too, right? Well, also, if you're if you're subscribing to a magazine for gay people, I don't know what these magazines are, but it turned out that most of these people who responded to the survey were upper class. So they're in a stable relationship. So they're being compared to American kids across the board. So the kid being raised by a single mom in inner city Chicago, the very poor, you know, kid whose parents are both addicted to meth. So those people bring down the American average. Mm -hmm. And so when you compare someone who's living on half an acre in a seven, you know, three quarters of a million dollar house in the suburb to the American average, and they're going to a private school or whatever, they're they're probably going to be doing better. So anyway, all of that's just an example of how empowering being a part of Canavox has been to me because I'm able to hear well, studies show that similar outcomes for kids being raised in same-sex households, and I'm able to say, you know what, I, I maybe don't have all the data for that particular study that you're citing, but I know enough to know that 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 methodology may have been right. skewed, and I have I have access to other data that is methodologically sound that maybe says something else, and so I don't need to feel backed into a corner or cowering in fear because the the world's narrative is saying one thing i'm quite confident that my interpretation of the bible aligns with the way the world works and so i can confidently raise my kids in what is turning out to be a tremendously countercultural way and equip them in an age-appropriate way to also deal with those facts. So, so moving forward, <laughs> you guys created a new uh, effort. We have a video series that we're launching trying to engage men, recognizing we're an organization that has one man on staff that I know of. Now, for the record, it was never oriented around men, right? It was Correct. always... It was founded by moms by for moms, moms. For moms, for your reading groups. But we, do, we have men... So, for example, I have these groups and we have these fantastic discussions about really important stuff like sex ed in the family or pornography or strengthening your communication in your marriage... Or hot cultural issues like transgenderism or same-sex parenting. So we have these great discussions. We get all this these facts. We read on our own, and then we come together around chocolate and wine or tea, and we sit and talk for two hours, a table full of moms, who also, by the way, always go away. It's, it's mostly moms. It's not all moms. But it's people who are passionate about was going on in the culture, like-minded, fun, smart ladies. And we... JR has several times said, I need something like this for men. And... Or <laughs> we'll, we'll do... 
there are a couple of groups that do couples groups where the couples will go through the reading group together and it sometimes they work really well and sometimes the women feel like they're dominating the conversation because the men are like, I didn't have time to read. I got home from work, had dinner, and now we're doing this. And the wives like, well, I did all the reading, so I'm going to run the discussion. So this was a little bit in answer to that phenomenon, as well as wanting to... We're working on materials for junior high and high school students, and we occasionally run online groups. So if you're interested in that, I can... Shoot me an email also at that same email address. and I Molly F at Canavox.com. Molly dot F, I think. Isn't it? I think it's Molly dot F and Molly with a Y. I think I remember seeing just Molly F, but... Now I have to look. Um. So anyway, <clears throat> these are three-minute videos Oops. with a uh, kind of hip guy from Seattle discussing things the first the first one we just released i haven't watched the release from today which is about pornography but the release from from before was challenging the narrative that guys can have it all by not getting married and not having kids and challenging guys who see that as something to aspire to to challenging them to see manliness and the fulfillment of their masculinity, not always. I mean, we know that Paul and Jesus were true men, manly men, who did not lack in their experience or their godliness by not being married or by not being fathers. But by and large, men mature and fulfill a lot of their manly identity by getting married, settling down, not pursuing this perpetual adolescence that is idolized in American culture right now. So it's a very punchy, I thought the content of it was great. And I was telling a friend on a hike that we did today, I actually see a point of application in this because we have a couple of guy friends who are single and kind of live footloose and fancy free lives. A couple of them are in their 20s. One of them is in his 40s. And our 10-year-old son, Titus, aspires to that lifestyle. He <laughs> looks at what they do, and they're always buying fancy new new ski gear every season, new mountain bike, get to go wherever they want, whenever they want. He knows, because we talk about, you kids are a lot of work, you're expensive. No, we can't do this. And we have one, two kids who've never been on an airplane. They hopefully will soon, but... They've all been on a helicopter, except for except Faith. Except for Faith, yeah, but not because of something we did. Because of that single, one of those single guys. Right, <laughs> right. So, so Titus is looking at these single guys and thinking, that's what I want. I want what they have. And even now, in his 10-year-old brain, I'm trying to help shape his worldview that, first of all, first of all, what they have seems great from the outside, but I know for a fact that all of them would love to find somebody that they could marry and they all love kids. Do, and you, do you think 
Um, man, I've I've always kind of so there was a movement. Uh, how do I say this? I don't I don't think it has a, a phrase for it yet. You know the wine drinking, the wine drinking mom who's over her kids on Instagram movement. Yes. You know, they're family oriented, but there's like this new joke now that my kids are driving me to drink sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also think... Which is so overplayed in my mind. Right. That kind right. of that kind of thing. But even just in how you and I talk with the kids and interact with the kids, are, do we show enough joy? Or are we always frustrated? Or are we always yelling? Do we have too many jokes about that having too many kids and having too many kids and kids being expensive? You know, are do are the jokes subconsciously detrimental to our children with their worldview on marriage and family and their identity, their self worth? Yeah. <laughs> do we have? I mean, I'm asked. This is a legitimate question. I know. Is there too much of that? In our I, sphere with our children. I think that we for sure probably go in phases where there is too much of that. I think that the more stressed out and frustrated and financially strapped we feel, the more we bring that down on the kids. But also, I don't want to pretend like they're not expensive because it, what was... No. Because <laughs> they are. Well, they are, <laughs> but, but I mean, they're... Oh, Elise, Elise, so I bought Elise a pair of $3 blue light glasses at Target last Thursday because she wants to be Luna Lovegood for Halloween, and I'm not going to buy her a really expensive Luna Lovegood costume. She has a Harry Potter cape, which is the wrong color of hood. Ravenclaw is blue. Gryffindor is red. But we have blue scarves. I got felt and painted white stripes on a cut out the shape of a tie. And Luna has these, I can't remember what they're called, spectroscopes maybe. Anyway, she has these glasses that are glittery and have like fingers coming out from the sides of them. And I have glitter foam that I knew I could cut out and tape onto the glasses. Well, I actually did the foam taping and Elise wore them for about 30 seconds and then took the foam off and has been wearing the glasses. Today was the first day she didn't wear the glasses for most of her waking hours. She, I was going to say, she wore them today, but most of the waking hours. She wore them to, let's see, Thursday she didn't wear them. Friday she wore that she went shopping with my mom and she wore them. Saturday, I don't remember what we did. Sunday, she wore them to church. She wore them to Sunday school. She wore them to church. She had people asking her if they were real glasses. And then she comes up to me and says, are these real glasses? And I'm like, well, they're not imaginary. They're something you can (laughs) touch. Define real. Yeah, define real. Do you need corrective lenses in those glasses? No. I knew a lot of kids in college that would just rock Clear lens. I had frames all I had long. a mom who asked if Elise if they were real glasses, and Elise goes, "I don't know." <laughs> and she said, "She I and I said they're blue light glasses, so in the sense that they're not just clear lenses. Yes, they're they have a purpose. 
the purpose was for a Halloween costume, and she has completely discarded. Now she wants me to buy her another pair that she can have as her Luna Lovegood ones and just keep these. But the mom said, oh, I bought a pair of blue light glasses to hide the bags under my eyes. She also has four kids. But anyway, where was I? Oh, Elise says, another mom comes up to me and says, oh, Elise got glasses. And I said, no, Elise did not get glasses. She said, oh, my daughter got glasses this week. And she was, one eye is fine. And the other eye was one click off. And I was like, you bought her glasses for that? And she said, she's a middle child. And to her, if we did not get the corrective lenses for her, this is actually a really interesting parenting aspirational moment for me. She said, this child, if we did not do this for her, it would be a tangible way that not just in her words, but also in her heart, that she would feel slighted and unloved and uncared for. And so she said, it was worth it to me to spend the money to buy her the glasses as a way of expressing my love for her. And this is where I got really challenged. And even if she never wears them because she doesn't actually need them, that money was worth it. Two notes, two points to note. One, she goes to an expensive optometrist that we also have patronized, but she went to iMart Express for the glasses and got her daughter two pairs for 150 bucks, and which is a pretty good deal for two pairs our, of prescription our lenses. Our really nice optometrist does amazing exams. His prices on glasses are way overpriced. I love the man. He, but so it's so like so she had so this mom had no problem <laughs> had no problem getting the prescription from him and then going mm-hmm. to iMart Express. I don't have any problem. Do that. I do that with him all the time. Right. And then there was another mom actually standing in the circle talking to us, and she goes, "Oh, I I the glasses I'm wearing right now cost me twenty five bucks online." And I was like, "With the prescription lenses? I don't even know how they're making money on that." I might upgrade my glasses with that knowledge now. Yeah. Anyway, this mom said to me that $150 was worth it to communicate love to my daughter, and it's a sunk cost at this point, and I have released requiring her to wear them, which I would be like, I spent money on those glasses, you better wear them, do not lose them, do not break them, you wear those stinking glasses because I showed you I loved you by buying them for you. you Now, wear the stinking glasses. And she was like, nope, I have resolved that. And she really did. Like, it wasn't like she was trying to convince herself of that. And I, right there at the end of church made a little resolution in my heart. I know we will cross this bridge. We both wear corrective lenses. I am... I can't see... I could not see this microphone a foot in front of my face, clearly. I didn't start wearing wearing corrective lenses regularly until I failed my... a driver's license renewal. (laughs) I started wearing corrective lenses... I failed a renewal. I didn't fail my test. I failed a renewal. So that tells you how late in life I started getting Okay, so our kids have a little bit of hope. I started wearing them in junior high and could not function without them by mid-high school. You know, I I think about how strikingly first world American this whole idea of glasses is. Spending money on glasses like that. But I also, like, I think about, so, you know, I'm thinking about Titus and a couple of 
jokes that I kind of regret having said. You know, of like, well, yeah, Tyus, if it was only you, of course I could buy you the downhill mountain bike that you want. Right. Right? You know? But, like, there's always... It doesn't matter how much money we make. You know, from a kid's perspective, there's always something nicer. There is. You know? Uh, they you are grow, bottomless like, pits. Oh, I grew up poor. Did you? <laughs> or did you? Or did your parents have... You know, they made plenty of... Like, we're not poor you know okay i didn't grow up poor but there's always the also it doesn't matter how much money you make there's always always going to be something nicer which is not just for kids it's also for adults kids also always break stuff and then they expect it to just reappear fixed and teaching them the value of money is baffling but so elise heard this conversation two pairs of glasses for 150 dollars, and she's like well it's like nothing and i was like i mean that's she cleans poop for my parents and she gets three dollars a bag for cleaning dog dog poop which is over over which is way overpaying for the quality of work she does but then your brother comes along goes well at least you need to bargain grandma up to at least five bucks a bag right which didn't (laughs) didn't go over very well but i said so so i can teach elise a little bit the value of money by comparing things to numbers of bags of poop. So if she's in Target or Costco and she wants to buy impulse buy a Lego set that's thirty dollars, I'm like, you that's ten bags of poop. That's if you clean poop for grandpa and grandma once a week, that's two months of poop cleaning and no money spent anywhere else. Oh, so $150 is 50 bags of poop that would take you 10 months almost a year of cleaning poop once a week for grandpa and grandma for those glasses that's not just pocket change elise and she said oh but to our point about kids and money kids really do it's it's very that's a very hard balance to strike because kids have no concept of how much things cost and it's and they're constantly breaking things they're constantly outgrowing things they're constantly wanting more things and so to not make them feel like a burden financially as well as in all of the other ways the constant messes that they're making and stuff is it you know how do you teach them the balance of Stop me, you know, you're not a burden. I signed up for the constant messes in the messy house, but for peace sake, clean up your own water spill. There is there is a family that's in our sphere and wonderful family. They don't go to our church, they go to a different church. Um and the son is now grown with it with a two year old with a, a two year old son of his own now, I think. And he was telling me a story about how his dad taught him the value of money. He really, really wanted... He was like... I can't remember. He was like 11 or 12. Really wanted this dirt bike. Really, really bad. And his dad's like, okay, I'll buy you that dirt bike. But you have to do this amount of work for me. And you've got to earn it. And he said, so my dad took that dirt bike, parked it at the end of the driveway... You know, at their their property, parked at the end of the, or just right there in the, in the yard. And I was not allowed to ride that bike until I paid for it. And I go out there every day, and I put in a couple hours, just stare at that bike, 
just put in a couple hours there. Finally, I had it. He's like, you know, after that moment, I really appreciate money. <laughs> he's like, I never had a problem with that again. And because he's like, my dad refused to let me go into debt on the bike. He's like, I'm not letting you go into debt on the bike. I think it was that we were having a conversation about, uh, you know, debt and credit and all that kind of thing. And it kind of makes me kind of wonder, like, man, did I, did I make a wrong decision with Titus's mountain bike and making him work off? You know, he really wanted a new bike, and so I bought him a bike and been letting him ride it. But it also is like the frustration that I don't necessarily have all the work for him to do for it. You know, he's worked a lot on it, but like at eight bucks an hour. And part of my concept was like teaching him how to understand the value of money. And I was like, I'll pay you $8 an hour and your bike is worth X, which means you need to put in this many hours. And he'll go out and put in two hours and go, how am I doing, dad? Not so well. You've done 16 bucks this week, you know? And it's like, it's, it's dawning on him. He's like, he's got a timesheet, time card, and everything. I was like, it's dawning on him. Like, oh, my stuff is actually kind of expensive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And not only not only do the I kids break things. I would have bought the things, kid a cheaper bike. Not only do the kids well, okay. Fair. Um you could go that route. This, I'm also eyeballing three other kids coming up the line and I didn't appreciate this. But but if he paid for it, if he's earning it from you, you're not do fair. you get to just yeah. pass it down to the other no, kids? No, but the other two bikes I've already got to repair. I got to replace one whole wheel on one bike is shot. Um the other bike needs to do brakes. I mean, they just these things just fall apart. Um but you derailed me. I forgot what I was going to say. You're trying to teach Titus the value of money and no, he's realizing there that there was something else, but I forgot mm. what it was. So Anyway, kids are hard. Um, you know what? Life is hard. Finding balance in all of life, I'm feeling, is tremendously hard right now. Mm. It's an area that I'm mm-hmm. uh, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Speaking with. of finding balance, though, I don't know. Those of you that don't follow us on Instagram, actually, I didn't post this on Instagram. We did, uh, I took Titus and Elizabeth to a judo tournament in Colorado. And we camped in the van. The van has beds and lights and power now, and it was wonderful. And it was a good uh, road trip in terms of, like, I've got little, lots of little notes, like we need this here and that there and those little things. But the kids took home silver medals. Titus took home a silver medal in two different categories. His category, 9 and 10-year-olds in his weight group, and then the uh, 11 and 12-year-olds in his weight group. Both our children... Lost every single match. Titus won every match in Colorado. Clean in sweep. Salt Lake. Un- went undefeated in Salt Lake. They lost every match. It- I th- I am proud of them because they continued to compete. Wait, let's mod- let's let's moderate what you said just a bit. Every single match. Lily had two matches against the same girl. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she had to keep going and going and Just going and lost and lost and lost. Titus lost five matches. Four. He competed against two two against two different kids. No, and then one against uh, a kid in one of the categories. One of the other categories. So he lost one match to one kid, 
two matches to the same kid, and then in another category, two matches to the same kid. I'm really confused, because on the podium, there were only two kids for both of his... Apparently, one was not there. And didn't the get the medal? Thing. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. He fought three different kids. Um, How does that... Character have... building. Oh. I am thankful that they lost. Yeah. <laughs> I am... <laughs> And they still struggling tremendously with how much school time I've lost to judo last oh, week with those, and this yeah. week because I I'm at a point now because you didn't come home as planned you stayed around in Colorado for an extra day and we had an outdoor you make it sound casual you guys it wasn't as it was casual yes but we're driving home on Sunday. <laughs> We're driving they home make it sun- sound casual. You pulled over to field and watched an air show for four hours. Well, How the, is that not casual? The Navy SEALs were on. You sounded like you were fine with it over text messages. I, I just... What am I supposed to do? So here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. I asked the kids to get their schoolwork done before they go or they don't go. That's impossible. Okay. We, have, we can only do so much math per day. Fair. They burn out. They end up in tears. We have a maximum. So, and we had our, our outdoor adventure club today. I can't start a full week of school on Wednesday. And so we're going to hit April and May, and you're going to want to drive around the country. And I'm going to be like, no, we did we drive around the country. We did judo tournaments. We did hunting. You want to take Titus hunting this week? No, that I was never. Where I, no, you did. I, you told me last night you want to take Titus hunting. I was going to see if your dad wanted to take Titus hunting prior to elk season i don't think it's going to happen or if he's planning to shoot a deer with titus in the tree stand okay anyway um no i mean we so as you i'm can just tell, struggling dear with, listeners I'm <laughs> we're still figuring this out as we go i'm struggling with the balance of you want to go do fun things with them and i feel a responsibility to educate them and i'm also a homebody who doesn't really want to go do the fun things and if i say no i'm a killjoy to no, both you and the no, kids I, no and if i, I say am, yes I'm not educating them up I to my am, own look, internal standards. This, this could work out well for, for our children. They could realize the value of getting work done or they lose privileges on something. If, if Titus can't get the work done that you want him to get done, he doesn't compete in a tournament. Education always comes before sports. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had edifying things that I felt like talking about today. I think this is a great conversation, okay. but we can talk about your next topic. <laughs> I'm excited to see the Telegram channel. Um, I I can't remember when we started recording this, but I think we're about an hour. Yeah, no, not two. yet. Okay. Well, I shared this on my personal Facebook three years ago, and it came up as a memory, and I thought it was fantastic. Despite the popularity, this is some guy named Russ Whitfield. I don't know who he is. You guys could probably Google him. I'm not going to bother it. Don't Google him. Look him up on DuckDuckGo. I'm having trouble. <laughs> it's like Google is like Kleenex or Xerox. Like it's it's a it's an actual verb now. Yep. yep. Google something on DuckDuckGo. So Russ Whitfield says, despite the popularity of the no judgment doctrine in our culture, the fact is we want to be judged from the outside. Adjustment is just a verdict. Judgment. Judgment. I'm sure he means to write. Judgment is just a verdict. We simply want to be judged as good and acceptable rather than bad and unacceptable. 
you're so great, is a judgment. And we never respond to such judgment with, you can't judge me. In fact, we want and need outside judgment over our lives. Some voice to say, you're good, acceptable, and loved. It never works to simply declare this over yourself. Here's the tension for humanity. Though we want and need a favorable judgment from the outside, everything on the inside says we don't warrant a favorable judgment over our lives because our ugly hearts. In theological terms, this is the longing for righteousness, and the resolution to that tension is the gospel. Faith alone in Christ alone gains the favorable outside declaration over your life that you've been longing for despite your ugly heart. The gift of justification by faith is this declaration over your life. You're good, acceptable, and loved in Christ. Mm. And I like that because it goes along so much with what's kind of a life theme for me. And when I talked a couple of weeks ago about the teeter-totter that I find myself on so much is that in order to have that sense of being, as he says, good, acceptable, and loved, what I find myself needing to do is to push others down, find ways that I'm better than Mm -hmm. in order to feel good, acceptable, loved, worthy, right with the world, right with God, whatever, however you want to phrase that, standing in positive judgment, receiving a favorable judgment. And what we need to do is take ourselves, what I focus on is taking myself off of that comparison spectrum and coming one-on-one before the face of God for the favorable judgment that I receive only through Christ. And what I like about this particular quote, which I'll post on our Instagram and our Telegram channel, is the, and if you aren't on either of those, I'll text it to JR and you can text him personally (laughs) and he'll send it back to you personally. Uh, I just, I like the fact that he's recognizing this need in our culture to have favorable judgment. And I, I made the mistake of clicking on Instagram reels, just the random reels that they show promote that people get promoted. And one night while you were gone on one of the judo trips and then spent, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45, I don't even know how long, just totally went down a rabbit hole of watching video after video and all these people dancing. I don't know the, the I'm not a big selfie person. I'll take selfies with my kids. So they have a record of the fact that I was in their lives and they like <laughs> me making silly faces on camera with them. I'm not, I don't love having my picture taken. And so this Part of it is my personality, but part of it is also the 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 selfie culture and the TikTok and the and I'm probably offending people here. The shameless if you follow influencers in the wild and Instagram account. That is such a funny account. Just the shamelessness and and remember that gal I recorded in California at Yosemite yeah, by the waterfall. Yeah. I sat there, so I was probably no more than about ten feet from this gal. Not even you were and like she five was, feet from her. She had her camera out, and she was doing her. She was cocking her head, 
moving her hair, moving her face, a couple of different ways, doing the whole thing. And I was filming the whole thing. I turned my camera on, stuck my phone right at her, and just started filming. And, and filming. she's completely not... I didn't think it was influencers of the wild worthy, but it was just the shame, just... Just unabashed. the ridiculousness unabashed. of the whole thing. But like, but the entire I, point of that is what he's saying here is she's not doing that for herself. She's doing it so she can put it on her social media and gain outside judgment that will be favorable. She's doing it. Another one um, on Amazon. Have I talked about Modern Love on Amazon Prime? Yeah, a couple show. times. Yeah. So there's one, probably, perhaps as I reflect on having finished season one of Modern Love on Amazon Prime, was the actually I didn't watch the next to last episode. Anyway, I watched most of it. Uh, there's an episode where this couple is on their second date and he very clearly knows that she's out of his league and it starts with them going up an escalator and she's got model looks and he's just this dopey dude and they're going up an escalator and it's very artfully filmed because you see guys following her as they cross this they're going up and as they cross the down one Every guy who's going down follows her with his head until it's uncomfortable for him to follow her with his head. And she and this guy who is her date and is standing behind her and, you know, a step below her is just you can see him trying to process this in his brain that I'm on a date with her and every dude she passes is ogling her. And then they get in this awkward situation and he ends up hospitalized. And even though she's literally doesn't know him at all, this is her first time at his apartment. She stays with him through this surgery that he has because he cut himself on some glass. It's fascinating. It's such a great it's actually it's so great. He wakes. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's still worth watching. He wakes up from anesthesia and she's in his hospital room and he's like you're still here and she's like well yeah why would i mean i you need me here but you know i brought you to the hospital and it, it's very did kind he cut of his, her did he cut something on his on the date yes he fell on a glass and oh. cut a nerve in his arm Whoa. And the glass gets lodged in his arm. So he had to have surgery to repair the nerve damage immediately. Sure. It is a little bit far-fetched, but it gets him in this situation. Well, he didn't do it on accident. I mean, this is a reality show, right? No, 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 no. This is... Um, it is it is based on stories that it's it's loosely oh, based. Oh, it's it's a it's dramatization yes, of... of stories that people sent to an a column in the New York Times called Modern Love. So people okay. sent their stories Because when I in. hear Modern Love, I figure it's going to be a show about gays and transsexuals. Well, and the, what, there is one episode on... on with a gay trees. couple. No, there's trees an episode on children. No, no, no. So, no. It's actually... It's tremendously thought-provoking. This whole season has been. Because the first episode... I, I'm, if you guys are interested in it, I'm sorry. 
The first episode is... <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the first episode is a single... A, a gal who ends up being a single mom. And how does she cope with being in New York City? It's all New York City. How does she cope with being a, a single mom in New York City who, when she has medical emergencies, when she's tired, when she has to work overtime, who covers for her? Who Who's looking out for her best interests as she's dating sort of thing? Hmm. Um, there's an episode where this guy has creating a, created a dating app and this guy's interviewing him about it for a magazine article or a newspaper article or something and she asks him have you have you ever really been in love and so then the whole episode is him having a flashback to the best love of his life that was broken and then she says i recognize it in your eyes and she tells him a story of this very brief fling that she had over in Europe and how this guy, she was supposed to meet this guy and he never showed up and her heart was broken and now she's married with multiple kids. And, uh, anyway, so, okay, so get back to the, he wakes up from anesthesia. So he wakes up. So I kind of want to watch the episode now. He's, oh, it's fat. It's, it's, it's really it's the whole it's the whole Wicker Park thing with Josh Hartnett and Diane Kruger. It, it's no, where, like, I didn't like that movie. He, oh, he, he shows up at the airport right before like whatever the train station and she turns around and somebody falls on their knees and Coldplay is playing no, in the background. It oh, is to- totally different genre. Okay, all right. Totally different genre. But but the point of <laughs> so it is kind of weird going back going too, no, it's whatever. not. No, going back it's it's very sweet because they're both honest with each other and he he she's like, Look, to be really honest, I'm Instagramming this whole thing too. I'm not using your real name, but I'm I'm looking for likes because this is a crazy story. I'm not. I haven't left. She she hasn't left him alone at the hospital, partly because there's something in it for her. Yeah. On her social media profile, and he's like, "Oh, you getting a lot of likes on it?" And she's like, mm, "Like eighty likes," and she's disappointed at how few likes she's gotten as she's live. Instagramming or drawing out this very fascinating story. And then she admits to him later on that the whole guys following her in the subway thing is that she and a friend in high school had a competition and they honed techniques of making eye contact with men and biting their lip or something. So with every guy she passed on the escalator, she was pulling him in. She is so addicted to the sense of her sense of self is so dependent on attention that she gets from other men that even when she's on a date with a guy, she can't help but try to catch the eye of every man she passes. Can you imagine being Mr. Dopey going, there is no way I can keep her attention? Yeah. I mean, and so, so, so this plays out and forget it. I'll go find an ugly chick with a good self-esteem. Well, no, I mean, it actually, (laughs) part of the reason I like the episode is it has, it, it, it doesn't, confidence. it doesn't resolve 100%, but it resolves enough that they, they're, you you know how, when we have friends, so what happens? 
you know when, when we have friends uh, <laughs> over and it gets dark and we have a campfire, we're at our cabin and we're camping, mm-hmm. you, the quality of conversation goes up the later it gets and the loopier you usually. That's true. Usually. Um, and there's something about night and darkness and just a little bit of light where you can kind of see people's faces. And people and, get super introspective, super reflective. And start saying things or voicing thoughts or feelings that they normally wouldn't express in the light of day in another context. Right. So so they kind of have that experience as they're in this hospital room together in the middle of the night and they're Mm. there for hours and hours and they just kind of keep peeling back layers of honesty and vulnerability. And when you are able to be i mean again this is this is a basic human desire or need we all want to be if it weren't 10:30 at night i would have a better phrase on the tip of my tongue but we all long to be known for who we really are and loved in spite of it right isn't that kind of a basic human longing and so i think that this episode gets to that where she's so into the social media likes and she's milking this situation with this guy for social media likes but then for her to be able to say that out loud to that guy and he can't turn around and run because he's stuck in a hospital bed (laughs) And she's otherwise you would you'd be gone, ladies. Well, don't use that tactic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so I would be anyway. So that that vulnerability that he doesn't reject her, even though she admits that to him, I think gets at a very basic human. Well, and that's and that's that's where your your sermon would come in and say Jesus fills (laughs) that longing. And I don't, I don't, I don't legitimately. I'm not trying, not trying to, Jesus, to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm just, that's legit. Right. Like that is actually something I would say to somebody who, if the conversation went that the way, that was looking for something like that. Cause here's the deal. We can joke. Not, I mean, it's not a joke to say that people are weird and hard is, is tongue in cheek, but it's also a very frank reality, right? Mm-hmm. That, and, and it helps us to process other people's weird and hard. I started using it with the kids. You well, guys. it's true. Like, I mean, even the it, last question is like, why did somebody do that? And I'm like, people are weird and hard. Right. I have no idea. But but even we in trying to create the cushion of grace that we can absorb people's weird and hard because we know that they're fellow image bearers who have different quirks and different struggles than we do. And even when their different quirks and struggles are bumping and clashing into ours, we can take a deep breath and not reject them outright because Mm -hmm. we don't understand them or because we don't even necessarily like their brand of weird and hard, but we hit our limits Yeah, and we are not beyond rejecting or avoiding or trying to get away from or causing conflict with somebody else who is, and I'm saying this very graciously to us, right? <laughs> That's um, like me with dang near everyone right now. Right. So, so, so uh, you do that. need the Jesus being entered, you know, put in there because 
when you are feeling acutely being the weird and hard and being rejected by one person who matters or by a whole bunch of people who maybe don't matter, but once it, you know, hits critical mass, it matters to be rejected. You need the assurance that Jesus says to you, as I read in that quote earlier, you are good. I'm not good. I don't know. Maybe that's not quite the right word for a reformed person. (laughs) You, but you are, you are accept. Well, he's, yeah, he says you're good, acceptable and loved in Christ. Mm -hmm. That you I, are justified, you're right with the world, you're right with God, and you are accepted unconditionally and unrefutably forever. And not only that, but you're loved in spite of who you are, you're loved for who you are, and you're loved unto the glorious being that God created you to be. And so... I don't know. There's just one more, one more thought. Tim Keller in his book on marriage has this fantastic passage about loving your spouse into their future sanctification all the way into glory. And so I don't just love the sinner that I married, but I am part of God's work in your life, creating, helping you become the person that you will be in glory in heaven. And so I can aspire to love you into that and help you into that. And I haven't read it for a long time, so I'm not very feeling very, uh, no, that's good right now. You're speaking to my soul. So when I get done with this show, I'm going to go cry in my gin. Um, or you can help me do the dishes. That I'll help you do the dish, dishes. Yeah, but we'll anyway, I think that we could all probably use a little bit more reminder that we are accepted and loved in Christ just as we are, but that we're not left in the miserable little lump of sin that we were when Christ found us, but Christ's project in and through us is unto glory. Yes. It's a good word. And now we are definitely over one hour, but I think it was worth it. Sorry. So you guys, if you want to interact with us about around today's show or uh, anything else, you can do so uh, through the following ways. The first way is to send us a postcard on our website www.toobusytoflush.com and while you're there you can order a people are weird and hard shirt and or mug or hat or too busy to flush swag we got other swag there stickers stickers we got a lot of stickers and if you want a sticker another way you can you can get a hold of us um and interact with us about today's show is on our telegram channel i will include a link an invite link to our our telegram group um, on Telegram, and it's basically a, uh, it's uh, an encrypted, fairly private. I mean, it's run by a third party, so how private can it be? Um, but it's an uncensored uh, chat platform, essentially. And for every uh, new subscriber that uh, jumps on and joins us between now and December, I'm going to send a sticker pack, and I have the stickers. I have not gone to get uh, little mailing boxes or anything else like that for the stickers, but I will. 
I promise. So you can do that, or you can send me a message. It probably won't be as prompt as like a Telegram message or uh, through our website, but you can send me a message at 406-318-7136, or you can send us an email. Uh, also, you'll get a, a, a more prompt response with email than anything else, too. Uh, TB2F, that's the number 2, TB2F at PM, PapaMike.me, PM.me. So, that said, my eyes are starting to get a little burning because it's Almost normally our bedtime, back. you guys. We got the show out, though, because we've been really busy this week. Um, and like I mentioned on Telegram earlier today, we need a little breathing room. So, the show is actually going to be recorded tomorrow, but I guess it's recorded tonight. So, that said, I don't have anything else to add. Babe, do you? Nope, I got to go to bed. Yeah, she'll melt. She's melting now as we speak. Well, it's more effect. It's more a function of melting down tomorrow. Fair. Yeah, kids don't care, and I got my Bible study group in the morning, and I haven't studied at all for the Bible study. Whoops. Part. Right. All right, guys. I we will talk to you next week.